Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 5 all the way into chapter 2, verse 6 here this morning. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, verse 5 down into 2 6 and as we're opening up there she is already going to children's church but I did want to say a word of gratitude to our minister of children and missions Lydia Sewell for all the hard work that she puts into days like today the baby dedication day there's a beautiful breakfast this morning we had a gift for each family and Lydia puts a lot of hard work in that and then comes to me and says now there's really no reason for me to be on stage right and I say no that's fine you don't have to come up on stage Lydia uh, is one of the most faithful and humble servants I know so we're so grateful for her and all the effort she puts into loving and serving our children here at First Baptist Church if you have your Bibles open to First John uh, chapter 1 beginning verse 5 why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read God himself is speaking to us beginning verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all and if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked let's pray together oh God today would you please open our hearts and minds to receive your word and oh God let us please be changed by your word today it's in Christ's name we pray Amen. You may be seated. Earlier this year, slowly but steadily, I read through the book, uh, The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's an old Russian novel. It's uh, one of the most famous novels in history. Uh, and I understand why after having read it. In the book, I encountered the character whose name is the Elder Zosima, a monk character. And he has become one of my favorite characters in all of literature. He, this elder Zosima, is striking in lots and lots of ways. And the great quotes that he provides are legion. The book is chock full of great quotes from this character. But one of my favorite quotes from him comes early 
in the novel. It's very rare. It's not often at all that I read a novel with a pen. I, I like to read with a pen in hand typically, but usually novels, I don't really do a lot of underlining, but my my copies of uh, Brothers Karamazov are, are marked up with red ink uh, where I, I underline different things. And one of the uh, quotes that I found there was, was this one. To one character who Dostoevsky calls an old buffoon, the saintly monk gives an important warning. Listen to what he says. Above all, do not lie to yourself. A man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point where he does not discern any truth in himself or anywhere around him and thus falls into disrespect towards himself and others. Not respecting anyone, he ceases to love. And having no love, he gives himself up to passions and coarse pleasures. Who is the one who lies to himself? Zosimus says ultimately it results in all sorts of of sinful behavior this reminds me a lot of hebrews 3 chapter chapter 3 verse 13 one of the verses in the bible that i think best represents uh what we need to think about when we think about christian discipleship when we think about uh christian preaching when we think about christian accountability is this exhort one another every day as long as it is as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin this is the thing about sin it's deceitful it tells lies i often say that one of the most important things about having christian accountability and christian friends and and even christian counseling talking to your pastor coming in and and hearing what another christian has to say one of the things that's so important and one of the reasons why i strongly encourage you not to live your christian life in isolation is the fact that the devil loves to repeat his lies and your own sinfulness will deceive you, and you'll begin to believe things that aren't true. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. We must stop lying to ourselves about sin. We must square up on reality. God is light. God hates sin. We are sinners by nature, and we sin. <laughs> we actually commit sins in our lives. But the Bible tells us there's good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That means you. That means me. He came into the world to save us. And those he saves, he delivers from the power of sin, from the deceitfulness of sin, from the stronghold of sin. And he enables us and empowers us to become more like him. This morning, I want to preach to you about that reality. We are sinners. There is a Savior and he can change our lives. That's today's sermon. Here's the first point. Sin lies to you. Sin lies to you. Uh, here uh, in the first verses of this passage, beginning in verse 5, John the Apostle begins to lay out uh, some lies maybe that we tend to believe. 
Some ways we think about sin that are unhelpful. More than likely, a lot of commentators and scholars think, and I find it pretty convincing, that that whoever it is that John was writing to, whoever it is that his original hearers happened to be, there must have been some people in their fellowship who were spreading false teaching. And as we work through the journey of going through 1 John, I think you'll see a few places where it seems clear that John is dealing with an issue that his hearers must have been dealing with. And so there must have been a group of people who were presenting some lies to those who went to the church or who were part of the Christian community that John was writing to. And one of the first lies that they seem to have introduced, and at least the first one that John chooses to deal with, is the lie that God doesn't care about sin. It's the lie that God doesn't care about sin. We oftentimes feel so removed from the world of the Bible, don't we? feel like so distant from the world of the Bible. But just in that first little phrase there, can't you see the way that the more things change, the more they stay the same? Do you, do you see that? God does care about sin, but we could find people even now, could we not, that would argue, that would say, that would posit that God doesn't care about sin, that God's not interested in that sort of thing. But notice what John says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. We, we cannot move an inch back from verse 5. We can't stop for a moment and say for one moment that God is not light or that God tolerates darkness or that there's any darkness in God. Sure, some might say. In fact, it seems that some among John's original hearers uh, said that uh, God doesn't really care about sin. Sure, he's light, and in him is no darkness, but he is unconcerned, really, they would have argued, with what we do. You know, God is righteous and pure and holy. He has no darkness in him, but he's not really concerned about how we act, how we behave. But notice, John doesn't stop in verse 5. Verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. Do you see the way that sin can deceive us? It can talk us into thinking things that simply are not true. Uh, Consider for a moment the fact the Bible says so clearly God cares about sin. God is holy. God is righteous. And if we say we are walking with him and we are walking in darkness, brothers and sisters, we are lying to ourselves. Verse 7, though, moves on and gives us assurance of the Lord's grace for our sin, but also reminds us that God indeed does care about sin. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Don't think for a moment that the Lord Jesus would have shed his blood for our sin if God didn't care about sin. What a costliness there is to sin. That's only the first lie. There's another lie. The lie of a nature that's just fine. As we think about the way sin lies to us, we see the lie of a nature that's just fine. There are some people who would argue. In fact, I saw someone just the other day that said it's immoral, in fact, to argue or to tell even a child that they are a sinner by nature. Uh, Sure, they might say, perhaps God cares about sin, but it's silly to argue that we are sinful 
by nature, that we have sin in ourselves. Any problems we have in our lives, the world tends to argue today. Any problems we have in our lives are problems of nurture or problems of our environment or problems that have happened to us. There is nothing intrinsic in us that's wrong. But I think we would be foolish to abandon the truth of the sinfulness of human beings. Now, I do want to say that we must be careful as Christians not to become overly simplistic in trying to blame everything that happens in a person's life on some sin in their life. We see health, wealth, and prosperity preachers and others do this, where if you get sick or this happens, it must be because of some sin you committed. People came to Jesus saying this, did he sin or did his parents sin in order that he might be born blind? We also need to be careful for people who are going through mental health challenges and other things, not to think that the, the exclusive source of those sorts of things would be sinfulness or some sin that they committed. No, we do recognize, though, that all of these things are the result of the fall, that that is not the way God created the world to, believe, to be. With all that being said, we must not give up the beachhead of sinfulness, the sinfulness of human beings as Christians. We cannot let go of this, for to lose that would be ultimately to lose the gospel. Victimization, oppression, social problems, economic disparity, injustice, none of these things mean or could mean that we are not sinners or that someone who's experiencing those things, that's the only reason they might do something bad. None of these things are the root cause of society's ills. No matter how much we want to argue that that might be the case, no matter how much people might want to say that these sorts of things are the case, that all of our problems are outside of us, we recognize that inasmuch as there is anything that is negatively impacting our world, its roots are deep within the sinfulness of humanity and the sinfulness of the world and the reality of living in a fallen world we, we cannot think for a moment that we do not have a sin nature sure they might say God takes sin seriously and to err is human but generally I, I'll, I'll concede maybe I have a sin nature they might say but I live an okay life you know I mean what am I doing that's really so bad well notice what John says in verse 10 if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the other sin. I mean, that's the other lie that sin can lead us to believe, is the sin that we are really living an okay life. Now, I want you to understand, I'm guessing most of you in the room are not grizzled, hardened criminals, right? The kind of people that we call wicked awful, godless people. And I understand most of you don't fit in those categories, but I want you to know there's only one reason why you are not as sinful as you could be, and that's God's grace in your life. Even those who aren't Christians, even those who aren't Christians, the state of our world is not worse than it is only because God holds back our sinfulness. There are no breaks on our sinfulness. We, we do not have the ability to hold back. And even those of us who aren't going on murder sprees or who aren't making great wrecks of our lives, we still recognize the way that even in our hearts, sin springs up in ways that we don't like to talk about, ways that we don't let to admit. Notice what John says. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us. 
Don't let the lies that perhaps you're telling yourself make God out to be a liar. But be careful as you think about these things. Sin, brothers and sisters, lies to you. But second of all, Jesus died for you. There's good news. Not not only does sin lie to you, but Jesus, second of all, died for you. My friends, the gospel leads to sanctification. Look at the first half of chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, this beautiful term of endearment that we'll see John use more than once in this uh, book. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I want to tell you guys something. Sin doesn't do what you think it will do. Sin doesn't do what you think it's going to do. Whatever it is that's enticing to you about sin, I wanted to let you know it's it's a trap. It's a sham. It's not true. One thing you may not know about old buildings. I don't know how many of you deal with old buildings very often. Um, those of us who work here deal with old buildings every day. Uh, one of the things that happens when you deal with old buildings is your air and cooling and heating systems can kind of be weird. And one of the things we have to do every year is we have to switch over our system, especially for the sanctuary and a, a few other key areas. You have to switch it over from heat to cool, which is just really easy in Alabama to make that decision, right? You know, the first warm day, you know, it's time to switch to the air and it's not going to get cold again. No, of course not. It's difficult. Well, some Sundays, you know, it'll be sort of in the transitional uh, phase and it'll be a little warmer in here than we want it to be. And sometimes there's a, there's a thermostat right back here on the wall. All right? This is sort of like that scene in Old Yeller when he puts the ham down low. You know what I mean? Like maybe they won't come mess with it now if you know where it is. It's right back there, okay? So it was hot in the sanctuary one Sunday morning and it gets really hot up here. It does. It gets hot up on the stage. It used to get even hotter. We used to have, these are LED lights that shine on the stage now. Do you see those lights that aren't on right there? Those were uh, big stage lights. It felt like an easy bake oven up here on Sunday mornings when those things shined on us. So one Sunday, somebody realized it's hot in the sanctuary. What do you do when it's hot? You turn the air on, right? Well, it was a time of year when the heat, the boiler was still running, the air wasn't working yet. They turned the air on. So you know what happens when you turn the air on when the air's not working here? hot air blows out of the vents and so what we talked about in staff meeting was putting a sign above the thermostat that just says this is not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish (laughs) sin is not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish right pastor but I, I need some relief Sin is not going to do what you think it's going to do. Right, Pastor? But you don't understand how stressful my life is. You don't understand how difficult my finances are. You, you don't understand what it is I'm going through. Sin is not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. Oh, I want you to get better. I, I want you to take the medicine, but I would never want to prescribe to you the medicine that's going to make things worse. Never would I want to do that. He's writing to them in order that they may not sin. You probably feel sometimes like preachers or like the Bible are just trying to keep you from fun or trying to keep you from the good stuff that you really want to do. But let me assure you that sin is so often its own punishment before you ever even get to what we would call consequences. 
It's not going to do, even when you're doing it, what you think it's going to do. I've yet to meet anyone who came back from a season of sin and said, you know what, God allowed me to delight in it. I love the pigsty, it was wonderful. No, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to go through this. He is writing that we may not sin, but I, I, not because he wants to keep us from having fun. I don't uh, uh, warn you against sin because I don't want you to enjoy your lives. I warn you against sin because I want you to treasure God because it's the only joy we can find in our lives. But, but, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, brothers and sisters, the gospel gives us sanctification. John's writing these things so that we may not sin, but he knows. He knows you will. He knows I will. He knows we'll sin. He knows he sins. He's, he's eventually stranded on an island called Patmos. I bet he sinned there too by himself. It's like the, the person who, uh, the Baptist, they were stranded on an island and somebody came and found them and they said, here's my church that I've built. And they say, really? Okay, well, there's your church. Well, what's, what's this building here? And he said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> even when we're by ourselves, even when we're totally alone, sin can still get involved can it not he knows we will you know you do i know i do and if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous how is he able to be our advocate i'm a sinner i know i'm guilty before god he is verse 2 says the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation for our sins. Brothers and sisters, we are guilty before God. There is nothing to commend us before God. We are not righteous. As Isaiah tells us, our righteousness before God is as filthy rags. We have nothing. We have nothing to turn away God's wrath. We have nothing to commend ourselves toward him. The only thing we have is his freely offered love and grace. And yet, how can God be just and forgive sinners who have rebelled against him? God sent forth his son to suffer the wrath that we deserved on the cross. What this word propitiation means it means to turn away wrath or to assuage the wrath of God that means that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved on the cross in order that we could have perfect standing before God through him this is the heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it's not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What that means is there's not a single sinner in this whole world, if they were to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, that he would turn away. There's no one the cross is not for. That's who Jesus is. Trust him. Trust him to start with and keep on trusting. If you're a sinner here today and you say, I don't deserve... God's love, I say to that, amen. I don't either. I'm a, you're a sinner here today, and you say, right, I, I, I think I want to keep on sinning. I think I'd have to turn from my sin to trust in Jesus. I'd say, amen, you do. 
But brothers and sisters, I want you to know, no matter how much sin you have, no matter how awful you think you may be, how undeserving you think you may be, God's mercy is greater. God's grace is greater. Trust Jesus to deliver you from your sins. And those of you who are believers already in the room, no matter what you've been doing, no matter what it is you're doing, trust Jesus right now to deliver you from that sin. Some of you are continuing in your sin right now because you are too ashamed to go back to your father. And so you keep pressing in on the sin, thinking it is better for you than turning to your father. But I promise you, when you turn to him, you will find love and grace that will overwhelm you. Don't keep going back to your sin. It's not giving you what you think it will get you. It's lying to you. Go to your father. And no matter what you think, no matter how you think he's going to respond, I promise you he will never turn his child away. Oh, repentance, brothers and sisters. It stings. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's a beautiful grace from the Lord. Sin lies to you. Jesus died for you. And finally, God is at work in you don't give up hope God will begin a good work in you right now if you trust in Jesus don't give up hope backslidden believer don't give up hope Christian in a far country don't give up hope you who refuse to look at your loving father because of what you've done God is at work in you even now if you know Christ. That pain, that struggle you feel, that's the Father trying to bring you home. Notice what the Bible says, verse 3. And this, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. Ultimately, this is the sign of salvation, whether or not God's word is written on your heart. The gospel, through the gospel, God writes the law of Christ on our hearts. We're able to live out love. Jesus Christ lives through you by his Spirit. If you find yourself over and over and over again unable to follow Jesus, unable to keep his commands, I don't mean that you're slipping up and sinning occasionally, but that you just recognize something's not working, something's not right. Perhaps today is the day you evaluate whether or not you truly have the Holy Spirit of God helping you in the work. You cannot keep his commandments on your own. You need Jesus' help to keep his commandments. Of course, we say we know and love God. But the proof is in this. Truly knowing Him means keeping His commandments. Truly loving God and truly experiencing His love means keeping His word. Ultimately, the question as to whether or not Christ is in you, whether or not you are in Christ, whether or not you are a child of God is this. Are you beginning to act like His Son. Notice how John finishes out this section. Second half of verse 5. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, God is forming you 
into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. How could we take his name? How could we enter his family? How could we be indwelled by his spirit? How can we know and love God and his son and not begin to look like his son? This is the work that God begins when he saves us and it's the work he continues. God is at work. I don't know all your stories here this morning. There may be someone here who says they have no sin. There may be someone here who thinks they know Jesus, but they refuse to walk in his ways. Do you honestly think that you can just roll the dice on being right with God? Is this something that you're willing just to take chances on? The reality is you can fake it for me. I don't know. I don't know how you guys, what's really going on in your hearts. You can keep up appearances for your family. You can make your friends even think that everything is just fine. You can probably fake it for your spouse and for your children. But do you really think God can't see? That God doesn't know? And deep down inside, you know also, don't you? You know too, don't you? Who is there that actually matters, that you're actually faking out? Who actually is it that's being deceived? Don't lie to yourself. Be honest with yourself. You're not faking out God. You're not lying to God. Really, who do you think you're fooling?